Father, we want to hear your voice. Thank you for promising to send the Holy Spirit. Pray that you'd grasp our attention and that your word would bear fruit in our lives. That each seed that's planted, you would tend it, you would cause the growth. And that it would minister to our hearts in a meaningful way. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Lead us to a deeper trust in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. William Leslie was trained as a medical doctor, and he wanted to be a missionary, and so he went on different missions, and and one of the places that he ended up in 1912 was in Congo. Congo was in the midst of a lot of chaos and strife, and he was witness of this. In fact, later on, he reported the New York Times about some of the things that had happened to the indigenous people there uh, by the king that was a, King Leopold who was oppressing them. But as he went to Congo, he was helping the people with their various medical needs, and he and his wife they they dealt with a lot of things in Africa. You know, there's a lot of different challenges that you can face, all the way from charging water buffaloes. Literally, they faced charging water buffaloes. They faced armies of ants. They literally have these things called army ants in Africa that will go through villages and wipe the village out, and they're just tons and tons and tons of ants. And so they dealt with all of these challenge after challenge after challenge. Eventually, they found a place along the river that they wanted to set up a compound, a a, a mission station, and as they worked in clearing the jungle, they found that this jungle was infested with leopards, but they kept on pressing on and eventually established this mission station, and every, he would go to the tribes around there, he would minister to their physical needs, and then he would seek for open doors to be able to share with them about Jesus, about who God is. Well, after 17 years, he had a bit of a conflict with one of the other tribal leaders. And this conflict got to be so intense that that he decided that he and his family had to leave Congo. And as they, they went to leave, he was able to reconcile with that leader, but it was too late, and they had to leave the Congo. After 17 years there, and he went back home, and within seven years, he died in the United States of America. And he died believing that what he had invested his life in for 17 years, that it had all, it had produced nothing in the end. That that there had been no fruit, nobody that had come to really accept Jesus, that, that the Congo had not changed by the gospel. What happens when you get to the end of your life and, and the things that you were hoping for, the things that you were expecting, they don't happen quite the way that you wanted them to? What happens when, last week we talked about how God delivers in time of trouble, but, but what happens if I'm in the midst of trouble right now and, and I don't see how God's delivering? You know, the book of Daniel ends in a fascinating way. Just, just look with me at Daniel chapter 12, if you have your Bible. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to pick up in verse 8. We're going to read the final words that Daniel says in the book of Daniel. This is the last thing that we'll hear from Daniel himself as he's interacting with 
these angelic and heavenly beings. Daniel 12 and verse 8 says, Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? This is, this is the end of, of Daniel's statements. This is the last thing Daniel has to say. He says, I didn't understand. And I said, what's going to be the end of these things? Daniel, who has been trusted with some of the most precious visions in all of history, some of the most beautiful and powerful truths that we've been diving into week after week, he comes to the end and he's like, I don't understand. What's the end going to look like? And remember, let's backtrack a little bit in Daniel's experience. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. And and remember Daniel's perspective as he sees these four beasts and he sees these, these powers rising out of the sea. In verse 15, he says, I was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. He, he's wanting to understand what are these visions all about? What are these beasts all about? Verse 16 and 19 He asked the heavenly uh, visitor about the truth. And in verse 19, he said that he wished to know the truth. What's going on? He's wanting to understand these visions. Verse 28, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is Daniel, who's, who's visited by Gabriel, the one that's right at God's right hand, and he's troubled. He doesn't understand. He doesn't connect all the dots. It doesn't make sense to him. Chapter 8 goes in like this. Verse 15, he says, I was seeking the meaning of now the vision with the goat and the ram. And then verse 27, the end of Daniel chapter, chapter 8, where he has this amazing 2300-day interpretation of the cleansing of the sanctuary is given to him. He says this, I fainted and was sick for days and was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. You see, the constant drumbeat in Daniel is, I'm trying to understand, I want to understand, I want to know what's going to happen. And, and what's foremost on Daniel's mind, being a captive in Babylon? having been drug off at about, the year, uh, at about 18 years of age. What's foremost in his mind? My temple, not my temple, but God's temple is laying in ruins. When is that temple going to be rebuilt? When are God's people going to be able to go back and set free? When will Jerusalem be rebuilt? This is the gnawing question in his mind. God, when will this mess come to an end and finally will be set free? And he doesn't understand. Stand. Chapter 10. We could look at chapter 9 where he's looking at Jeremiah's prophecy. And we looked at that, how he prays and he fasts and he's asking God for, for forgiveness for his people. But chapter 10, he says this, I, verse 2 and 3, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. What's going on? What is he trying to figure out? Later in the chapter, we read this, verses 16 and 17. My Lord, he's talking to the angel, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. And I have retained no strength. No strength remains, nor is any breath left in me. Daniel, as he receives these incredible and beautiful visions, he's troubled. He's wondering, what is this? What's going on? What is the end? When are my people going to be set free? When will we get to rebuild the temple? And he doesn't understand. And we find this repeated question from angels. Daniel 8.13, there's an angel that says, How long until this is fulfilled? And 
Daniel chapter 12 and verse 6, we find another, an angel again saying, how long? This refrain is picked up in Revelation saying, how long? Do you ever wonder that? <laughs> okay, how long? Maybe it's what you're going through. How long am I going to be going through this pain? How long am I going to go through this illness? How long am I going to deal with this with my children? Or maybe you're thinking, how long until Jesus comes? I, I just want the answers. I want to know. Give me a, a, a timeline and a map where I can figure out the exact day, the exact year. How long? Well, let's go back to verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12 and verse 4, he's told this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. He's given these miraculous and incredible visions, but God says, all right, Daniel, shut that book up, seal it up, make sure that it, it, it stays sealed up until the end of the time. Well, really, God is saying that this is not going to be understood until we come to the end, until the time of the end, an important phrase in Daniel. And then it goes on to say, many shall run to and fro, and here's the key, and knowledge shall increase. There's going to come a time when, Daniel, these prophecies will begin to unfold, they will begin to blossom, when, when the planet will be captivated by these incredible prophecies that you have been given. And you and I get to live in a time where we have the privilege of having this book with all of its incredible prophecies and to get to, to look into what God has been doing in human history. It's an incredible gift. You know, this whole thing, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So this is a picture really of a, 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 a scribe. When he would go to study scripture, he didn't have a convenient book like we have. You know, those weren't till what the... 1500s, 1600s, that we began to have books and the printing press and all of that. He would have a scroll and he would take his scroll. And, and you imagine a book like, let's say, Isaiah, these many, many chapters. Or even a book like Daniel with, with 12 chapters. The picture really here, and the, and the Word uh, gives the picture of understanding and seeking knowledge that's used elsewhere in Scripture. The idea is that this, this uh, scholar is running back and forth in Scripture here and there looking until he can come to a realization of the truth, coming to a knowledge and understanding of the truth. This is telling us that as we progress, we're going to expect to see a better and better understanding of the prophecies of Daniel. Verse 8, then we saw this. It says, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? What, what's going to be the end of this? Is Daniel's final words. Verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. How would you feel if you're Daniel? You imagine you're, you're close to 90 years old. You went as a captive when you were 18 years old. You've been faithful in the little things. When you were challenged about eating food sacrificed to idols, you didn't bend. When you were tempted to be unkind to your captors, you continued to treat them with kindness. You were there for uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this tyrant, even though he was a crazy man, all the way until he was finally confessed the true God. You were there through the lions and you refused to stop praying. And God won't simply give you the answers here. You're coming to the end of your life. And he says, this is sealed up until the time of the end. 
Do you see here how there's a little bit of an anticlimactic feeling at the end of Daniel? And as we sense what Daniel is going through, he's longing for more knowledge. And God says, go your way, Daniel. The worlds are sealed, closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And then it goes on to, to say in the latter part of verse 10, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. There's a picture again that those who run to and fro in Scripture, those who are searching and studying Scripture, that the wise will begin to understand more and more of what you have shared, Daniel, what, these pro- what has been given to you, Daniel. Then verse 13, the final verse of Daniel. You ready for it? But you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest. Daniel, you who are beloved of God, who've been told over and over, you are highly esteemed, you are beloved, God loves you. Go your way and rest. What exactly is going on here? Um, He's telling him, Daniel, you're not going to see the temple rebuilt. That's not gonna, you're not going to see even the start of this prophecy that leads to the Messiah. You're not going to see the Messiah. You are going to rest. You're going to die before this is even seen of value, these prophecies that you've been given. Does anybody know what this is? It's a painting called The Vase with 15 sunflowers. Now, if you are an art connoisseur, you immediately say, wow, this is a beautiful painting. If you're like me, who didn't, I I took one class on art, you're like, okay, those look like a little bit of wilty sunflowers to me. (laughs) This painting right here, it sold in March of 1987. Are you ready for it? It sold for $39.7 million. These wilty sunflowers, 39. I don't, I don't quite understand it, but $39.7 million. That's worth $94.6 million in today's money. I don't even know what to do with numbers like that. And here's the thing. The artist, the artist was dead. In fact, uh, well, before we get into that, this, this tripled the previous record for a sale of artwork. This was the most, the, the largest sale of a piece of art up to that time period. And it introduced a new era in how much art was selling for. This was the first modern piece of art that sold for millions and millions of dollars. Before that, it was like, you know, uh, the, the Mona Lisa or like these really ancient paintings. But now you have modern paintings that are selling for millions of dollars. This, whoever painted this is an incredible feat that, that he became the first modern artist to sell a painting for millions and millions of dollars, but he was dead. But not only that, here's his self-portrait. Vincent van Gogh died, he died in 1890, almost 100 years before that painting sold. Wikipedia records this about him. It says that in his lifetime, paintings did not sell during his lifetime. In fact, he was generally considered a madman and a failure. <laughs> At the, 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 he, he, he died early as a sad story, but people looked at him as a madman and a failure. Nobody but a few even valued his art at all. If it wasn't for his sister-in-law taking his art and keeping it he, and, and getting it promoted, we wouldn't even know about Vincent van Gogh today. He died before his work was valued. Daniel, you're going to go your way. You're going to rest before your work, before what I 
am unveiling here is going to be appreciated. But you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest. Daniel, who was taken as a captive, who the, the, the vessels of the, the temple were taken and put in the, the temple of the god of Marduk, who witnessed this for decades in Babylon as he was sometimes on the forefront and sometimes he was pushed to the background like with Belshazzar and then back in the forefront again with the Medes and the Persians under Darius. Daniel, you're going to die in captivity. And so when we say that, that God delivers us out of trouble, that when you come to a time of trouble, you can count that God delivers you. When we say that, I'm not here to tell you that this is a prosperity gospel, that your life is going to be rosy on this planet here and now. Yes, I look at somebody like Daniel and I realize he went through it and he didn't escape from death. He didn't even escape from captivity before he died. He died an old man in Babylon. This is the story that Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that person after person, these, these people that had faith looking to the promises, Hebrews 11 tells us, but they did not receive what was promised. None of them have re- received what was promised. And Daniel's told, you go your way till the end, for you shall rest. But, but there's good news because that is not the end for Daniel. There's good news for you and me. If we're in the midst of trouble now, we have the hope, we have a blessed hope that one day all of the pain, all of the tears will be wiped away forevermore. Verse 13 continues, and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Notice it doesn't say, and you will come down back to the planet to receive your inheritance. It says that you will arise from your rest to receive your inheritance at the end of days. Daniel has not yet inherited what was promised of him. He has not yet gotten to experience what he was longing for of being set free. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11 goes on to say, and all these have not received what was promised so that something better would be given to us, we have something special. Apart from us, they will not be made perfect. You and I have a special privilege of sharing the message that Daniel had with the world, of sharing the good news with the world, because Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness, and then the end will come. And Daniel will arise to his inheritance at the end of days. What does that look like? Back in verse 2 of chapter 12. And many of those who, what? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. I can't wait for that day. How about you? I can't wait to see my grandparents again. I can't wait to see John Dorn again. I can't wait to see Stan Mulder and many others in our church that have passed to their rest. But we have this blessed hope. That was not the end for them. The pain that they went through will be gone forevermore. They will awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's a coming resurrection. Jesus is going to come back. The the sky is going to split apart. And those who sleep in the grave will rise. It's a beautiful picture. And it gives us hope. Because Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation. 
John 16, 33. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We can't just fix our eyes on the here and now. We have to realize that there is a coming reward where we can be together with Jesus forever. Daniel chapter 12, this promise is crucial for us. The wise shall understand. There's a blessing that comes from studying the book of Daniel. I encourage you to continue to dive into the book of Daniel. The wise will understand and there's a blessing that comes with that. And one of the most beautiful promises of what comes with that is in verse 3. Those who are wise, those who understand, those who who capture the, the beautiful picture of what's going on in these prophecies. You know, you and I who can see that there was Babylon, Medo-Persia, there was Greece, there was Rome, there's the Holy Roman Empire, there's this, this coercion and force that came into Christianity itself, there's the lawless one who, who tried to do away with God's law. But then there's the rock. A different kind of kingdom that is set up by Jesus, and that is going to take place. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. You looked out at the stars at night. They look pretty dim from where we're at. But then you get some of those new new images from telescopes. It's incredibly bright and incredibly beautiful what God has in store for you and me. And those who turn many to what? Righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God has a plan for you to shine forever and ever. We saw in Daniel chapter 7, in fact, he wants to invite you to sit on his throne with him. Revelation 3 verse 20 or 21. He wants you to sit on his throne with him as he's gone and to sit on his father's throne with him. But notice, it's to those who turn many to righteousness. What does that look like? What is righteousness? Well, thankfully, Jeremiah, a contemporary of Daniel, wrote and made this crystal clear for us. What is righteousness? Daniel, Jeremiah 23, a prophecy about the Messiah says, Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The many will lead people to righteousness. The many will lead people to Jesus to what the character of God is truly like is represented in the person of Jesus. And as we lead people to Jesus, we can know that there is a coming reward. And that reward ultimately will be to be with those people and with Jesus forever and ever. Those who turn the many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. We're invited to invite people to Jesus. That's why we have church. That's why we're here today. And if you haven't come to Jesus, I want to invite you to to see in Jesus a a person who is so incredibly beautiful, so incredibly attractive, that that it doesn't matter how long we have left in earth's history. The, The shortness of time is not a big enough motivator. It it will not drive you to the feet of Jesus. What will draw you there? is the attractive loveliness of Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming soon. And I want you to be excited about that because Jesus is beautiful. He is lovely. He is a healer. He's on your side. He is for you. And the Bible tells us that God is not slow about His promises. It hasn't taken a long time, He says, for no reason. The reason that it's taken as long as it has for Jesus to come back is because, what does 2 Peter 2 verse 9 say? 
He is not willing that anyone should be lost. I can get excited about a God like that. A God who says, I'm not leaving one person behind who's willing to come with me. If there's one chance in any human heart, I will wait to come back. Because I want everyone possible to be with me forever. He's the Lord, our righteousness. Well, in Isaiah chapter 49, another uh, prophecy about the Messiah. Notice this. And he said to me, you are my servant, speaking of the Messiah, in whom I will be glorified. Notice how the Messiah felt. This is, this is about Jesus. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. You know, I backtrack a few years when I was in my first year of ministry. <laughs> I had a lot of excitement about, you know what, I'm going to get out there and I am going to lead many people to righteousness. The world is going to be changed by Zach Page. Um, and so I went to Melpitas and, and I held a, a, a young adult series there with a youth evangelism team. Lee and I were working with this group of people and we held this series there. And we promoted it. We got flyers out. We talked to young adults and told them to come to this series, and we were so excited about it. And then opening night, we had one or two guests and maybe a couple of other people. And we kept on night after night with one or two people. And I'm so thankful for my dad, because one day he said, you know what, Zach? You need to read Isaiah 49. This is a, a prophecy about Jesus. You don't feel like you are successful in ministry? That's okay. Look at how Jesus felt. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. But then Jesus goes on. Well, before we get there, the Desire of Ages, page 678, says, As the world's Redeemer... Christ was constantly confronted with apparent failure. He, the messenger of mercy to our world, seemed to do little of the work he longed to do in uplifting and saving. Sometimes we look at Jesus and we think, yeah, of course it was easy for him. He was walking on water and he was healing every sick person there and he was preaching to multitudes. And of course, Jesus felt good about what he was doing. Did he see the fruit? Did he recognize that what he was doing was making a difference eternally in souls? Think about what Jesus went through. Jesus, who when he was tired, he sits down by a well, and only one person there. And he's willing to sit down with that one person and talk with them. In faith that that's going to make a difference. It probably didn't look like it that one Samaritan woman could make a difference. Jesus, who when he healed ten lepers, had how many lepers come back to thank him? One. Jesus, who on the night when he was betrayed, how many of his disciples forsook him? All of his disciples forsook him. Jesus, who when he was on trial, listened and heard Peter deny three times that he even knew him. Jesus, who went to the cross, forsaken seemingly by every human being. 
at the end of his ministry, having poured his life out, it felt valueless. It felt like it hadn't made a difference. And, and so often I get frustrated and I think, I want to see greater fruit. I want to see things happening. I want to see, I want to see greater change. And I get frustrated. Jesus, Jesus knew what it was to come to the point of his death and to have almost everybody totally forsake him. No fruit from his ministry. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord. And my work with my God. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted in his faithful heavenly Father. He trusted in what God's plan would do. And he kept on laying his life down, even though it looked like it was bearing no fruit. And that's what you and I are called to do. Day in and day out, we're called to lay down our lives for our spouse. We're called to lay down our lives for our children. That means to invest time when we want time for ourselves. That means to invest money when we want money for ourselves. That means to invest whatever it is in laying down our lives for the good of others, to live a self-sacrificing life for our neighbors, for the people in our community, for anybody in need around us. And here's the the bad news, it's not going to feel like you're changing the world. It's not going to look like it. You're not going to see instant gratification. We, we live in a culture where we microwave things and we look forward to, oh, yeah, I, I follow X, Y, and Z and this pops out. Keep loving your neighbor regardless of how they respond to you. Regardless of whether they want to know what you have to say, keep on loving them. Keep laying down your life for them. Keep serving them. It's called disinterested benevolence, and it's what Jesus practiced. It's what we're called to. Desire of Ages, page 679, gives us this hope. It says, He knew that the life of his trusting disciples, this is Jesus, would be like his. A series of uninterrupted victories. Wait, hold up. When you think about Jesus' life, when we read through the Gospels, isn't that what it actually looks like? We say, wow, miracle after miracle, victory after victory. He was perfectly following his Father's will. This is incredible. And then look at Pentecost. 3,000 are baptized, and before long, 5,000 are joining the church. And, And we look at it as, from hindsight, yeah, this is incredible. An uninterrupted series of victories. But notice it says that, his trusting disciples, their lives would be like his. A series of uninterrupted victories. Not seen to be such here. But recognized as such in the great hereafter. Friend, do not base what you do upon the results. Base it upon the Word of God and the way that He has called you to live. It may not look like it, but if you trust in Jesus and you lay down your life for others in disinterested benevolence, your life will be a series of uninterrupted victories, though you do not see it now. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Martin Luther, who was striving to see his people set free, who was striving to see justice, who was striving to see equality, he died before he saw it. 
And now we have Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And we celebrate the fact that people have equality in this. And we celebrate what happened through him. Friends, the truth will prevail in the end. Justice will prevail in the end. And self-sacrificing love will be what sustains the universe for all of eternity. And you're welcome to get on board today. Jesus is inviting you. You can walk away from that and choose everlasting shame and content, or you can choose to be a part of self-sacrificing love for eternity. Only that which is bound up with His purpose and expresses His character can endure. His principles are the only steadfast things our world knows. This is commenting about how there was the fall of the the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. All of those things came to an end. They were kingdoms that were unsustainable because they were not sustained by the principle of self-sacrificing love. His character is the only principle that will endure in the end. So in 2010, a guy by the name of Ramsey was studying missions and he wanted to see what was happening among the tribes in the Congo. So he hired this Cessna plane and loaded it up and flew into a, an uninha- or a, a part that was pretty much untouched of the Congo. And he had this idea that, you know what, I think some of these people may have heard the name of Jesus, but they've never really experienced the gospel. They've never really, there's never been any fruit here, and I want to see what's happening with these tribes. And so he got landed in Congo, and he got in a dugout canoe, and he went across the river. And he found the Yancey people. And the Yancey people? The Yancey people had choirs and churches everywhere. In fact, the Yancey people had built this. A church big enough that it was unknown to the outside world. The Christian world had no idea about this church to seat a thousand people in it. And in the 1980s, that church filled up. And so they said, we've got to start a church planting movement. And so they planted church after church after church after church after church after church in this seemingly untouched by the gospel region of the planet. And can you guess how they heard about it? All they knew was there was a guy by the name of William who came as a doctor and was helping us out there. And and, and he he told us about the Bible, but he was here from this year to this year. So Ramsey's thinking, okay, what in the world? William, is that his first name? Is that his last name? Who is this guy? And so he went and he dug and he researched. And you go online, it's hard to find much information about him. And finally he found that it was Dr. William Leslie and his wife who had invested 17 years of their life in loving these people in the Congo who eventually left and went to North America and said, you know what? That was fruitless. It didn't make a difference. And after seven years, he died. Eighty-four years later, when the mission people returned to study what was happening there, there's a massive church planning movement, and these people have fallen in love with Jesus, and the gospel is spreading. Friends, don't underestimate what God is doing through you. Just because you don't take somebody from being a total atheist to... Going into our baptistry does not mean that God has not used you to impact somebody's life, to lead many towards righteousness. Trust 
the working of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is that those who turn the many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. And that your life will one day be seen as a series of uninterrupted victories as you trust in Jesus. I don't know what your mission is. Some of you are called to be moms. And you might feel like that's not some grand gospel-spreading mission. Let me tell you that what happens in your home spreads the gospel better than anything else on the planet. What happens with your children, falling in love with, Je- with Jesus is one of the most important things on the planet. Some of you, as dads, are so busy with work that maybe you're not investing in your children. Friends, your children are so important. Or maybe there's a thousand other things that are, are vying for our attention on this planet. Just keep faithfully laying down your life and loving the people around you as Jesus empowers you to do so. Keep meditating on his character like we talked about last week. And your life will be a series of uninterrupted victories. It may seem like small things that aren't making a big difference, but trust Jesus. It's him that accomplishes the work. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Here we are, at the end of this incredible book, and we see Daniel. Daniel without the fruit of his ministry, and yet we've been blessed by the prophecies. We've been blessed to see the results and the fruit of his his labor. Father, would you lead us to a deeper trust in what you are doing in lives? Would you lead us to a, a greater expectation that you will accomplish the work. And Father, when we don't see the fruit that we want, help us to continue to stay faithful in walking in the footsteps of Jesus and loving people the way that Jesus loved them. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the example, for showing us that even you felt like your work was not bearing fruit but thank you that it has and it will for eternity lord encourage every heart here this morning that their lives as they trust in jesus will be an uninterrupted series of victories though they don't see it now in the name of jesus i pray amen